You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Nathan Pearson, Senior Vice President of Experience and Talent at Paycor, a leading human capital management company. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me today. It's an honor and a privilege to be on the podcast and be speaking with you. And just real quick, one thing I would say is when I was younger, if you would have told me I would have had the opportunity to be on a podcast or an interview or anything, talking about speaking to influence, would have never believed it. I was in speech classes up until the seventh grade. So my early formative years would not have ever thought I'd have an opportunity to sit down and have a discussion like this. So I uh, really privileged and honored to be here today. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, you said speech classes and not like public speaking speech classes. So what were you taking speech lessons for? A lot of different things. I mean, it was enunciation. It was speed, eye contact, you name it. I talked really fast a mile a minute. My brother was my interpreter for many years early on just because I didn't have the time to slow down, I guess. But it's really interesting to see and to think back from there to here. So That's awesome. And I think that's beautiful. So anybody out there who's got a kid in speech therapy, in speech class, doing whatever kind of pullouts they've got in elementary school, have them listen to the, at least the first couple of minutes of this podcast and say, look, this could be you in a couple of years that where you're going through right now, it's just part of the learning curve and it absolutely won't hinder you from anything in life, whatever you put your mind to. So thank you so much for sharing that, Nathan. Yeah, thanks. And with that, now being on a podcast is not something you have to be a professional speaker, anything for. Find your podcast where you want to be the guest, find the host, find whatever, where you want to share. You have the ability to be a thought leader and share your experience, your genius, your expertise, your experience, whatever it is with the rest of the world. So I love that this is already a motivational kick in the pants, hopefully, for those who say, no, it could never be me. I could never do that. Yes, you can. Living proof. And with that, give us a sense, Nathan, what's your 30 second elevator pitch for Paycor? Yes, my company is Paycor. We're a human capital management company. So really what that means is we work across the performance management and the leadership management lifecycle for organizations. When we look at things like helping organizations recruit better talent, onboarding their new employees, their new associates, managing their payroll, their employee data, talent development, career development pieces, more SaaS-based technology company. We've been in business for over 30 years. We've been working with our 30,000 plus customers to create a modern platform and really help leaders build winning teams. Paycor is a really great organization. It's an exciting industry, exciting company, very great culture. We just went public in July of 21. So it's been a really fun and fast-paced time in the last you know, 12 plus months from that. But what gets me most excited about the organization is our significant and really singular focus on empowering leaders. I mean, we've made a really big effort. I mean, leaders are the lifeblood of the organization with engaging associates, attracting associates, really driving performance, and Paycor really helps to empower leaders build winning teams. That's amazing. Helping empower leaders to build winning teams. So with that, then it sounds like you're super excited about that as you should be. What's your favorite part of your job? To me, I love to build. That's something that I found throughout my career as I really get 
energy around building organizations and helping build experiences for individuals to really be able to engage and learn and grow. And being in an environment like Paycor, where it is high growth, the HCM and SaaS technology space is really dynamic. So there's always opportunities. And I've been in other organizations where there are challenges, but they're in a contraction standpoint. Challenges from a growth standpoint are so exciting. They're so fun. And trying to scale, trying to operate in this virtual setting, making these connections virtually, it's really exciting and it's really rewarding. And what I like when I think about the job and other places and organizations I've been at, Paycor drives performance, but we do it through our associates. It's a very associate employee-centered organization. And my role, I mean, we really get to uh, empower folks and really get to put great programs and things in place to help people thrive. And the second thing I would say, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it, is I'm a huge NFL fan and <laughs> Paycor and the Bengals entered into a sponsorship. So what was Paul Brown Stadium is now Paycor Stadium. So wow, I'm really excited about that. So from the 32 NFL teams out there, Paycor's got their name on one of the stadiums. And that's a really big win for us. And personally, I'm really excited about that. That's amazing. So for any football fans out there, there's a little association, of course, depending on who their football allegiances are toward, that may help or hurt the business connection one way or another. But congratulations to Paycor. That's amazing to have your name on a stadium. That's got to be exciting. Have you visited the stadium? Yes, absolutely. So one, I mean, I'm a fan. So I've been there multiple times just for games anyway. But we had a chance a couple of weeks ago to be down on the field with practice with, it was a joint practice with the Rams and the Bengals. So yeah, I had a chance to spend some time down there. That's a big part of, as we look at our experience for our associates, as well as how can we really get some some value and some leverage out of that relationship between yeah, the Bengals and Paycor, especially for those folks that are local or have opportunities to come in and kind of experience that firsthand. So That's so exciting to be that up close and personal with a major sports team. I would imagine that gets the employees really excited too. It's extremely, and it's fresh. I mean, this is about a month or so ago when we announced this. So yeah, it's hot off the press. So yeah, really exciting for us. That's really exciting. So everybody, when you have a chance to go to Cincinnati and you're going to watch an NFL game, you'll see Paycorn. Think of Nathan, come back and listen to the show one more time. Now, that sounds like a pretty big issue of the day, pretty hot topic that I'm sure everybody in the organization is talking about. What's another really big issue of the day? And how do you have to adjust your approach when talking to different stakeholder groups about it? Yeah, one of the things that we've really focused in on that it's been a focus area, it'll continue to be a focus area, but it's how do you create culture and community in a virtual first environment? In the early stages of COVID, I mean, a lot of companies were forced to go remote. A lot of companies have come back. Some have made decisions to work in a hybrid model or a virtual setting. And we made that decision pretty early on. But one of the pieces with that is... Paycor had such a strong brand and a community involvement and a culture in those things. How do you create that and replicate that? So folks, when they're working virtually, feel the same. And really what's important when we think about this is the different audiences and how do we engage and kind of lean into addressing this uh, across the, the organization. So when I think about trying to create culture and community, they're really kind of four key stakeholders that we engage with and that we communicate with as we talk about our strategies, our plans, the investments that we're making in those things. So first off, I look at our executive committee, our executive team. And the way that I think about it is I always put myself in the shoes of what do they care about? So in the case, if I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to the executive committee, they care about the investment, they care about the outcomes, how will what we are proposing 
how's that going to improve performance? How's it going to drive engagement? How is it going to ultimately improve and impact the organization? So my discussions and my focus going in to engage with stakeholders at the executive level is I focus on impact. What impact are we driving? I use data to be able to sell and help position and drive confidence in the plan, confidence in myself and the team to be able to go and execute across that. And ultimately, I'm also trying to build champions and buy-in. So that's critical. I mean, how do you bring those executive committee members into it? The second group that I engage with uh, and the team engages with, they're leaders. So that's our managers. That's our directors, sometimes the, the vice president population. This group cares about how are the things that we're doing? How is that going to impact my team specifically? How's it going to improve my function? How's it going to drive engagement? How's it going to create a stickier employee experience so it drives retention of individuals? They want to know what's their role and how do they get involved, what's expected of them. So my focus, when I go in to have these conversations, it's about how do I inform them so they understand what are we doing and then how do I enable them? So they understand, hey, how does this work? But then also, What's their role with it? So that's a big focus of informing and enabling. And then the third group we focus in on are the associates. The investments that, that we're making are really for the associates. And they want to know from an associate standpoint, hey, what's in this for me? So if I'm a frontline employee, a frontline associate, I want to know, especially in this setting, how do I connect with folks? How do I get involved at Paycor? I may be sitting in Montana or maybe I'm sitting in New York City and I'm in my apartment. How do I connect with this great organization? How do I get excited about it? So the conversations and the focus that we go in and engage with them, I'm focusing on creating awareness and I'm also creating excitement. I think that's a really big piece for that because you want people to feel really engaged and excited about the investments and things you're making there. And then finally, the four Fourth area, when I'm looking at this and where we lean into is the team that's doing the work and executing. So the my team, key stakeholders, they want to know why does it matter? How does the work that I'm doing, what's the purpose? How does it fit into the bigger picture, the bigger connection of what Paycor is trying to accomplish? So the focus with that, and this goes for myself, this goes for all leaders, like it doesn't matter if it's this issue or another one but connection. How do you create clarity in the role and connection back to the bigger picture? And then it's inspirational, painting that picture for where we're trying to go and how does this piece fit into it? So yeah, that's really a big area that we've focused on and will continue to focus on. It's so critical in today's environment. And that was so beautifully broken down, you know, the, each stakeholder group and what they care about. And so how you need to address them. I'm going to encourage everybody to really go back and listen to the last, I don't know, three minutes or so and to break down and think to yourself out there, who are the different audiences that you need to inspire, to influence, to persuade, et cetera? What do they care about? How do you articulate that? How do you operationalize that? And then how do you frame what it is that you need them to understand? I'll say that again, what you need them to understand and frame it in a way that matches with what they're looking for and what they believe that they need. Nathan, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And in doing all of this, you've had a lot of different people you've had to persuade over the years. Who's the toughest audience you ever had to get through to? I mean, I say executives, and I think all executives in, in general, like different styles and approaches, but in particular, a couple companies ago, I mean, we had a big time executive. So I say that in the sense of came from a much larger global organization, really an industry leader. This individual, big ego, arrogance, 
had a certain style to the way that he led uh, and kind of what resonated out into the organization. And his approach and his style was it put me on hot seat. It was a hot seat and it was a lot of you know, questions and a lot of digging into areas that other folks hadn't maybe anticipated as much, or he had different focus areas. And some of it was just to make you un- uncomfortable a bit. And he'd been with the company a couple years. He'd had a couple of what would be like vice president level HR executives that supported him. He'd chewed them up and spit them out. He had a uh, reputation, I would say. And the way that I like to engage in a new scenario, a new situation like this is sit down. Let's have a one-on-one discussion. Let's get to know each other, talk about style, expectations, and those things. So uh, we have the first meeting, we set it up. I come in and I sit down and I'm expecting, I know he's a difficult customer, but I'm expecting a good conversation and expectations and those things. And I go to talk to him and he sits back in his chair, crosses his arms, silence. I mean, it's crickets. Like the the meeting, I'm talking to him. He's got me on the hot seat again. And the intent behind it is prove yourself to me. Why are you important enough for me to engage with, to have a conversation? It wasn't a welcoming, like, hey, let's partner. It was, why are you here? I don't necessarily value folks that have been in the role before. Why are you different? Horrible discussion. So I'm walking into this of knowing it's going to be difficult, not expecting it to be nearly that difficult. I mean, it's you couldn't really script a much kind of worse first discussion with an executive, somebody that really your success hinges upon this relationship. So this first one-on-one, the next time that we're scheduled to meet a week later, I say, okay, I've got to really go in and start to spend a lot of time with his leadership team. I've got to understand the ones that have cracked the code. How does that work? Well, what, what is the style? What's he expect? And I also thought, yeah, I need to get in and understand from the individuals firsthand in the business because that, that's what he's asking. So instead of saying, hey, I heard this third hand, I heard the second hand, like, no, I actually had a conversation. I've observed it. So that's the way I want him over. First conversation, horrible. Second one, not great. Third one, better. Fourth, fifth, by the time we're a month plus into it, we've built rapport. I've established credibility. I understand what's going on in the business. And it's also the old adage of be brief, be brilliant, be gone. Like That was the approach is come in, show impact, tell him the things he needs to know. He doesn't need all the noise. He doesn't need all the fluff around it. And when I think about executives and leaders, and in this case in particular, sometimes it's about style. Sometimes it's about content and substance. In this case, it was about both. So I really had to crack the code of what is kind of that perfect way to engage and really understand what he appreciated, what he valued. And he and I grew into a really good relationship where I could help influence and have some of those more difficult conversations of these same behaviors. These weren't just happening to me. I mean, this was happening across the Oregon into his organization. So it was great for my experience because I stepped in knowing, hey, this is another tool in my tool belt going into an organization and a customer like this. So yeah, it ended up working out really well from my standpoint, but not easy. It also sounds like it was a good lesson in tenacity. Yes. Just having to not give up, just nose to the grindstone, keep pushing forward and figure out how to break through. And eventually you did. Yep. I think this is a good segue now to perhaps give people some advice on how to not be that kind, how to be the kind of leader that everybody wants to be and achieve your maximum. So let's challenge everybody. This is our opportunity here, Nathan, for the 24-hour listener influence challenge. So you get to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How do you want to challenge our listeners today? My challenge, and this is one I do personally, it's self-reflection. So when it comes to communications and how you're 
engaging with your team or with your managers, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor, it's that, that self-assessment. So how do you really assess and reflect on the effectiveness of your communication? So take a step back. Are you creating clarity with how you're communicating today? Is it simple to understand? Are you eliminating surprises for your leader, for your team? Do you have intention behind the actions, the activities, the way that you communicate today? And this is something, again, I do it all the time, engaging with my team, my leaders to say, hey, the things that we're doing, is it hitting the mark? And I tell people, this isn't like a one time in the next 24 hours, do it, do it again, put it into your routine every quarter, every six months, like go in there and assess yourself. And I think it's an important way to make sure that your point is getting across with intentionality. Love it. Self-assessment, reflection. These are things we don't tend to take time to allow ourselves, times to gift ourselves to really look back and ask these questions. So I will encourage everybody to take that time and do that reflection. Sometimes we don't find the answers that we necessarily want, but those are often the best answers that we could find because then we have a chance to fix them because we're aware of them. So 24 hours, everybody set your clocks and go. Now with that, we've talked about some mistakes that the previous bosses certainly made, at least in our assessment, what we would consider a mistake. What's a communications related mistake that you've made? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like? In one particular instance, I had an organization where our head of HR, so our CHRO was leaving the company and I was transitioning into the role to lead our organization. It was around a hundred plus individuals in this, this HR team. And rewinding at probably about I don't know, five, six, seven years before, when I started my career in HR as an intern, we had an executive in the group that sat over several hundred people. He was the executive that sat over the HR function. Fast forward this back to the seven years, this role, I'm getting ready to move into this CHRO position. Different organization. This same individual that was an executive before, he now works for me. He's going to work for me. He had come over to this organization, but just in that time, I was leading. He was going to be reporting to me. So there was a dynamic there that our relationship ha- had changed. That must be really awkward. You can imagine being on both sides of that, where you report to somebody and then a couple of years later, something happens and now that person reports to you, the boss and the direct report roles have switched. And I'm not sure which one that would be more awkward to be on which end of that. Uncomfortable either way for sure. Continue. Definitely was something that you had to navigate. And I think the example here is how poorly I did navigate it initially out of the gate. (laughs) So I'm doing a transition discussion with the CHRO that's leaving and we're in the middle of our annual merit and bonus planning time. So she tells me, hey, I've already taken care of initial thoughts and planning. I'm giving, we'll call him Joe. I'm giving Joe nothing. He's here. He's on his way, like probably another 12 or 18 months. This was kind of a twilight type role that he was doing before he permanently retired. So he kind of came out of retirement to do this. And she said, he's not here for the money. Don't worry about it. I've already had a conversation. He knows not to expect anything. Okay, that that makes it easy on me. So we sit down to have these conversations and it's a couple weeks later. And it is my responsibility. I have to finish out the planning for the entire function. But I sit down with Joe. I say, hey, Joe, I appreciate all that you've done. As you know, you had a conversation with so-and-so before and here, as discussed, there's no annual increase for you. So there's no compensation increase for you. And I see and I immediately recognize the facial expression and the understanding of, No, he didn't have a conversation. He wasn't aware of this or whatever relationship he had with this other individual. I hadn't earned the trust. I hadn't earned the right to necessarily assume our relationship would be the same. It escalated. I mean, I could see just, it wasn't even disappointment. It was just the 
frustration and I think that the, the anger on, on the face of my assumptions that we're on the same page in those things where he, he wasn't, he hadn't heard this. So we agreed to kind of part ways that, that day, not, not part ways as in him exiting the organization of just, hey, we got to get a little bit of space here because the conversation di- did not go well. He's really upset. Initially, I'm a little bit upset too of, oh, how dare he, like they have these conversations. And then I self-reflect. Okay, in fairness, I surprised him. I made assumptions that he was aware and looped in. How can I fix this? And my style and what I always tell leaders as I'm coaching them, as I tell my team and those pieces is, like authenticity and trust, like th- those are big pieces. So the next day I tell them, I fall on the sword, my mistake. I assume this, I shouldn't have, I should have engaged you. I need you. I appreciate you. Those pieces, because it was my fault. It wasn't his fault, regardless if they had a conversation or not. Our relationship strengthened. It became really strong after that because it wasn't about the money. It was around the respect, around the appreciation. And if I could do it over, I would have engaged him as I was going through the planning to say, hey, Joe, my understanding is you had a conversation with so-and-so about this. Let me make sure I understand correctly that you're aware that there was no money planned for an annual increase for you. Like I could have addressed that, wouldn't have made any assumptions, would have eliminated the, the opportunity for surprise, and we would have had a, a fine conversation about it. But instead, early on, like you don't know and you make those mistakes. And th- that was a big one. That was a big one that it was pretty uncomfortable. It sounds like it. And I mean, another option may even have been to just say, you know, I had a conversation with the whoever the CHRO is, and she mentioned that she has already spoken with you. What's your understanding of it? Rather than saying, tell me if this is what you guys came out with, just leave it as a totally open question. Let them fill in blanks first, because then if you realize there's still major discrepancies, then you haven't offered up anything that's going to get them upset still. So different options, certainly. But yes, going in with the opportunity of what I think a lot of venture capitalists and investors will call de-risking assumptions, figure out what's in there, ask some questions and get their side of it first. So yes, I would imagine that would be a relatively uncomfortable, that would make an already uncomfortable situation worse. So definitely time for a do-over. Absolutely. Now, what about accountability? What's an approach that you've used to address an accountability issue or challenge with somebody on your team? And how did they respond? Yeah. So going back several companies ago as well, we were a company that was a really kind of scrappy company, roll up your sleeves, all hands on deck type approach. And we had an individual on my team that really smart, great experience, had put together a really nice strategy for the function that that they were leading, but they weren't necessarily hands-on enough. And there was feedback around this individual, questions about what where she was spending her time, questions about the job, questions about the impact of hey, they may have really good thoughts and ideas, but what do they actually do? Like I'm doing the work, they're just coming up with the ideas and those things. So in that conversation as a leader, where I always go to is I always focus on the front end of these conversations and my relationships with folks as I come in the team is to build trust, to build a relationship and to build some type of rapport. So I'm thinking about how do you like take those credits and like sock them away? So when I have to have a conversation like this in the future, they know, hey, Nathan's supportive. He's been knocking obstacles out of my way. He's helping me be successful and that he's coming from a good spot. So that is the place that I always try to be in the position when I go in to have a conversation around accountability is sometimes maybe it's a new team and you have to be a little bit more direct, but my approach and intention is going back to, I don't want to surprise people. I want people to be successful. So in this case in particular, I sit down and have a conversation of, hey, you've done some really, really good work in this area. Your experience, 
the strategy that you've set out are getting really good feedback. You know, we've got an opportunity here though now to look at how do you show up? How are you engaging with key stakeholders and things like that? And how could we think about this to do it potentially more effectively? So giving them an opportunity to provide some of their thoughts and some of their feedback, but knowing, hey, I'm coming from a good place with this. Of How can we work together to put you in a really good spot? Because I don't want this to go off the rails and you've got a really strong foundation. How do we take it to the next level? How do we think differently about this? So my approach when it comes to accountability, it's always transparent. I try to do it. I won't say in the moment because I think in the moment is sometimes I I have done that where there are emotions and there's still like (laughs) energy and tension into it. But you try to address it with good timing. So it's around the time of the moment, those things. You don't wait for a formal review and those things. So my approach is always, look, it's candor, it's authenticity, it's a relationship that you've built. But in this case, it's given the feedback and and the individual took it. They took it, they understood. And sometimes it's not things that folks want to hear. And I think in this case, she had a little bit of like pushback and things to that. But I think she understood when she reflected on hey, perception is reality in some cases. And okay, how can we work together to fix this? Because if these questions are coming up, it may just be a way that we can figure out how does she position or sell herself and those types of things. Yes, yes. Being proactive, being direct, being transparent, being authentic, all really important keywords that hopefully everybody's filing away in the back of their minds. What about, you mentioned earlier that the the notion of building culture in the virtual space, building culture, building community is, I think, an important issue for everybody nowadays. And as you're creating that more and more of that hybrid workspace, what's one of your main concerns or pet peeves in doing that? And what's the ideal solution? Yeah. So my big pet peeve when it comes to connection, experience, those things in a virtual setting or in any setting it's the forced inauthentic way of it. When you're trying to, to force fun and trying to, I, I used, I had a, a conversation I had with folks in a team before and I talked about like the lipstick on a pig piece of it. Like sometimes like you try to put these forced fun pieces on top of a culture that maybe isn't as healthy in those things. And, and people can see through that. Like people understand that the happy hour and those things aren't necessarily a culture driver. And I think in a virtual setting, we learned that early on of everyone tried to replicate what you did in person on premise and you try to do it virtually and that's why zoom happy hours they were a thing for a period of time and then all of a sudden like they fizzled because it was additional work and you start to see that with a lot of those things so for me ideal situation it's basing it on employee feedback we listen all the time at paycor that's a big part of our strategy is we, we listen to our associates we want to understand the things that are working and the things that aren't but we also want to meet folks where they're at. So to me, it's about how do you create experiences that are fun and authentic and they feel like, hey, this is the type of company we are. This meets us where we're at today from an associate, from a virtual setting, not just trying to force fit something. Hey, you did in the past. Let's try to just do that same thing in a virtual setting or let's try to force that fun on you. I don't think that works. I personally, that's not what I'm a huge fan of. And I think associates and I think employees are really too savvy for that to work. So to me, it's authenticity in in the approach and the experiences you create. So we're the virtual happy hour. Yes, people were trying to make do with, okay, how can we unite? How can we get together and chat less formally if we can't actively get together? What's a concrete example of something that is authentic and this and that, but still actually, you mentioned that a happy hour isn't a culture driver. I think that's a great phrase. What is? 
What's an example that you found that works? Yeah, so I think there are different ways that, that you can do it. So some of it we have like our ERGs at Paycor, our employee resource groups. So those are groups of individuals around you know, collective goals or experiences and things like that where they work. So what are they interested in? So it may not be a happy hour to do it. It may be something to where they're meeting up in geography. So we say, hey, you know, you're not going to fly everybody in together, but you know, we've got a hub in Cincinnati and we've got you know, 12 folks there. We've got a hub in Dallas and we've got seven folks there. Like what are those things that you can still do community wise there if you wanted to get together and do some type of virtual or, or not a virtual event, a volunteer event or things like that. We've also done other things to where you're doing more pieces like it could be a, a trivia piece. It could be speaker series. We do a lot of like through authentic Zoom channels where we're not like pushing it on folks, but it's, hey, where people can go in and they can make connections. If you're in Chicago or if you're in Philadelphia and you want to connect with, with other folks, you're able to do that. So we're trying to create those connections where they're organic, where it's not just a Zoom happy hour for folks to get on and to necessarily be compelled to go to it or feel like they have to. But these are areas where you provide a lot of opportunities for folks to, to pick and choose because some folks want to lean into it, other folks don't. But that's the way we look at it through our ERGs, through different experiences with Zoom channels, through our community involvement and in those things. So you can get involved virtually, you can get involved in the community in person, like trying to give people outlets to do that as opposed to, hey, it's going to be a corporate Zoom and we're going to do breakout rooms and then here's a topic to, to chat about for 30 minutes. And we did this after hours. Like it just didn't work. Like people got really tired of that always on piece of it. So some examples that I heard, I want to recap for those who have been seeking alternatives and haven't been able to find some. You mentioned for local groups, at least, to get together live for volunteer events like charity events or some sort of activity that way. Trivia events, which arguably could be live or virtual, if heaven knows around here, quizzes and pub quizzes and whatnot used to be certainly popular if they still are or even speaker series, which again can be live or virtual, but something that's driven by that particular ERG, which is united around a common experience or a common drive. Did I hear that correctly? You did. A lot of it was trying to get it back to a common area. So whether that was a team that had a common interest or it was uh, again an interest group or it was an ERG, but trying to do it in ways where people have opportunities to participate when they want to participate. It. I think forcing folks in and trying to create something where people feel compelled that, hey, I have to show up. So you tell me it's not mandatory and it's something that I can join. But at the end of the day, if I'm the only one that doesn't feel comfortable joining because everybody else is going to be there, that's what you try to stay away from. So we're trying to do it in different ways to where you give people the opportunities and they can choose what they want. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to show up to all these things. I think that's a great point for us to end on some concrete strategies to help people reconnect with each other beyond just clicking join meeting because there's something on the calendar, finding ways to really inspire that feeling of connection and engagement among employees, among partners, among anybody who's really on your team. So Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people learn more about you and about Paycor? Yeah, so you can go out to paycore.com, check us out. You can follow us on any of the, the social sites. For myself, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn if you want to connect, if you want to follow me. Look, I'm always happy to dive into discussions around 
development in career and those things. I mean, that's what I do from the day to day. It's also a big part of where I spend my time from a networking and just working with folks. So feel free to reach out and connect if you'd like to connect or, or learn more. And I'm going to put a little asterisk on that and recommend that if you do reach out to Nathan on LinkedIn, you tell him that you heard him here on the Speaking to Influence podcast. Because I'm guessing, Nathan, if you're like me, you get an awful lot of random invitations to connect with people who you've never heard of, and there's no personalized message. And you're going, I don't know why you this person wants to connect. So it's not a popularity contest to me. So if I don't know who you are and why you want to connect with me, other than to sell me something, I'm not likely to accept the connection. But if they say, hey, I heard you on this podcast, or I saw you speak at this event, or I read your book, something like that, then sure, absolutely. Let's connect and happy to continue the conversation in any way you'd like. Does that help, Nathan? Did people tell you that they heard you here? That would be fantastic. Yeah. And I, I love that. I mean, that's the exciting part too, when you hear people or you hear from people and they've told you, hey, that was great. Like, I'd love to connect or find out more. Yeah, I mean, that's great. It's always good to hear that and understand that people are listening and excited about the things you have to say. Absolutely. So tell them that you heard him here first and strengthen that connection right off the bat. Once again, thank you so much for joining us today, Nathan. And thank you, everybody else out there for tuning in as always. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or your platform of choice so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations, for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.